1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: Because what they think they're doing, which is right in their own eyes, is based on their own definition and not God's. We're living in this time, folks. This is the day in which we're living. And the end result, the Bible predicts, that mankind will go on this path of doing what is right in his own eyes and disregarding God's definition of right and wrong and good and bad. And where this ultimately leads is to a system that collapses morally and spiritually under a one-world government led by the Antichrist. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. All you have to do is turn on the news to see how morally depraved we're becoming as a nation. It turns out that we have a lot in common with Israel during the time of the Judges, as we'll hear in today's teaching. Pastor Gary shares how everyone was just doing whatever was right in their own eyes rather than following God's commands. This book is more relevant than ever as our own country is quickly turning away from God and trying to redefine right and wrong with Him out of the picture. This leaves Christians as the new minority. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message, titled, Doing What is Right in God's Eyes.
2: Notice what's happening here is, they're just resorting to their own system of worship. They're just going to do it their own way. Sets it up in his little shrine, and then he realizes, don't have a priest we're not even of the priestly class but i've got a few sons so here son number one you're going to be the priest for our family and recognize here what's happening you have mom who's dedicating the money unto the lord it's the capital letters l-o-r-d so it's the proper name of god she's consecrating the silver to god and yet she's using consecrated money not to be a part of worshiping god but to make idols so that she can worship them Gives him to her son. He's got his own little shrine. This isn't the tabernacle of the Lord, which is at Shiloh at the time. He's installing one of his sons as a priest who's not even of the priestly order. They're worshiping idols, saying it's the Lord, installing their own priest. Do you see how twisted all of this is? But that's what happens, you see, when everybody does what is right in their own eyes. We're just going to worship God when we want to, how we want to, where we want to. We don't really care that we don't have a priest. We don't really care that we're mixing idolatry with sincere worship. It's all about how we want to do it in our own eyes. So their system of worship, religion, was one thing that we clearly see in the closing chapters that they were doing in their own way, in their own eyes. And then the second issue that we see here is the issue of morality. Morality. They basically we'll see here in the closing chapters decided that we're going to define what's right and wrong. We're going to define what's good and bad. We're going to define what is just and unjust, not God. We don't need God to tell us what to do or not to do. We don't need God to define for us what is right and what is wrong. We're in charge, and we're going to decide what is right and what is wrong. Now In chapter 19, if you go to chapter 19 with me, here's where it gets gruesome. This is a hard story to read. It's, you know, one of the things that happens where, you know, here at Cornerstone, we go straight through the Bible from cover to cover. And so even some of the difficult, gruesome parts we're going to read, but there's a reason why this is included in Scripture here. So note with me, in chapter 19, it's going to speak of the moral depravity that has taken hold of a country that has rejected God's definition of right and wrong and adopted their own. This is what happened. This is the kind of thing that happens here. So in chapter 19, look at verse 1, down through verse 4. It says this, In those days Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there, Four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her father's house, and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, prevailed upon him to stay. So he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. All right, now your attention here for a moment. So here this whole story begins by saying, once again, Israel had no king. So the idea is they're throwing off moral restraint They don't want to be under anybody's authority and particularly gods are going to define what is right and wrong. Their whole system of morality is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And the first thing that we come to here is a Levite who is part of the priestly order and he has a concubine, a Levite with a concubine. What is a Levite doing with a concubine? What is anybody doing with a concubine? Okay, that was never God's intention, never God's will. And sometimes when you read through the Old Testament and you see how men had several wives and a few concubines, don't ever get confused as to whether or not God accepted that. He never accepted it. Because He made clear His definition in Genesis two twenty four: For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God's original definition and design of marriage is one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And that has never changed. So just because we look at some sorry soul in the Bible who thinks he can handle more than one woman. <laughs> and I don't say that just for the guys. All the ladies can say amen to that too. He can't take care of me. What does he think? I know, it's true. God designed one man, one woman, not multiple. What is this guy thinking? And who is a concubine? Tell you what a concubine is. Concubine in this ancient culture was considered... A legal wife, but she was considered a second-class wife. A second-class wife. And you, as a husband, would provide your concubine with food and shelter and clothing, and she would provide you with, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And if you had children by her, If your wife was barren and couldn't have children, then your concubine's children would be your rightful heirs. But if your wife had children, your concubine's children would not get any of your inheritance. It's just a messed up, twisted sense of relationships and stuff. But anyhow here, it says in verse 2 that she was unfaithful to him, to her husband, and she left him. And she went back to her dad's house. Goes back to daddy's house. And it says that after four months that he began to miss his concubine. After four months, the guy said, you know what? I kind of miss the gal around the house. I'm going to go after her. I don't know why it took him four months, okay? Some guys are a little thicker than others. Takes him four months, and he tracks her down at dad's house. Father-in-law welcomes him. Good to see you, son-in-law. Why don't you come in? He says, well, I'm just here to pick up my concubine and go back home. I want to try to mend things. I I want her to come back to me. And the father-in-law says, well, listen, why don't you just stay here? We'll just have some pizza. We'll drink a little bit and just enjoy yourself. Take a load off your feet. You've traveled a long way. The guy says, all right, sounds good. So for three days, Bible says, they eat and drink. That's all they do. Fourth day. The man the husband gets up and says you know what we got to start on our way because we got a long journey it's going to take us a whole day to get back home I want to get home before nightfall father-in-law says what's your hurry come on I'll throw some brats on the grill why don't you just stick around a little bit longer we'll drink we'll eat it'll all be good and then you can be on your way he says okay fine they eat they drink and then the guy says I need to be going really Father-in-law says, it's kind of late in the day, don't you think? And by now, you won't get home before it's nightfall. Stay another night. The guy stays another night. The Bible says later on in the story, on the fifth day, he gets up. Husband gets up goes, we really have to be on our way. Father-in-law says, what's the rush? Stay and eat and drink and be merry. Let's have a good time. Smoke the hookah pipe, the whole thing. Okay, that part he doesn't say. The guy says, well, all right, I'll stay a little bit longer. It gets later in the day. Father-in-law says, well, now it's so late in the day, you might as well stay. And the man says, no, honestly, we got to go. But because they get a late start, nightfall does come upon them in their journey back home. And so they have to stop at a city along the way. And the city is called Gibeah. Now, what is typical in the day? Obviously, don't have Holiday Inns, don't have Marriotts, so you get to a city you're traveling to, and if you need lodging, you just kind of sit down in the city square. And people who come along, they see you sitting down in the city square, and they were probably much more hospitable than we tend to be today, and so you would see somebody or a family just kind of sitting there, and you'd say, hey, obviously you look like you're a traveler, you're from a distant place, come and stay at my house, I'll give you food, I'll give you lodging. Well, nobody does that for this family until late at night. Bible says here in chapter 19 that an old man comes along. And if you'll start reading with me in verse 20, here's where the story kind of goes downhill from here. Verse 20, he says, You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, Bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Now, does this story sound a little familiar? It should, because it reminds us very similarly of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. When you have some men who actually are angels, but they're in human form, and they are given lodging in Sodom, and the town men, young and old, the Bible says, surround the house, pound on the door, bring the men out, we want to have sex with them. Now the difference between Sodom and Gomorrah and this story is that Sodom and Gomorrah was a pagan place. Gibeah, where this story is taking place here in Judges chapter 19, Gibeah, was the place occupied by the Israelites. The Benjamites, the tribe of Benjamin, lived in Gibeah. These were Jews. These weren't pagan people. These were Jews of the tribe of Benjamin who were saying these things. Now read on verse 23. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this disgraceful thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But to this man, don't do such a disgraceful thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night, and at dawn they let her go. At daybreak the woman went back to the house where her master was staying "'Fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. "'When her master got up in the morning "'and opened the door of the house "'and stepped out to continue on his way, "'there lay his concubine, "'fallen in the doorway of the house "'with her hands on the threshold.'" See, she had died. "'He said to her, because he doesn't know yet, "'Get up, let's go.' "'But there was no answer. "'Then the man put her on his donkey "'and set out for home. "'When he reached home, he took a knife,' and cut up his concubine limb by limb into twelve parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, Such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day of the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. This story is intended to shock us we should be filled with outrage and disgust at what we read here in this story. And let me just give you the bullet points again about what we just read here. You have flagrant, downright militant homosexuality. You have a father willing to turn over his young daughter and another man's wife to a crazed mob instead of, as the father should have done, defending, protecting, and being willing to die for the women of his household, you have in this story then a crazed mob of men who rape and abuse a woman all night long. You have the death of that woman because of the injuries she sustained from such horrible abuse. You have the husband of the woman who in the morning mutters, get up, let's go, and steps over her lifeless body that is clinging to the threshold of the door. And then you have this same man who will throw his wife's body on his donkey, go home, and cut her up into 12 pieces and send one piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel as somewhat of a calling card to war against Gibeon. This story is sick. It is repulsive. It is horrifying. It is immoral. And it is what happens when people reject God's definition of right and wrong, and adopt their own sense of morality. We are not smart enough, we are not enlightened enough to live our lives independent of the holy standard of God. And what you see in this story preserved for us is a reminder this is what happens. To a nation. This is what happens to people left to themselves to try to rule themselves, to do what is right in their own eyes, to dismiss the definitions of right and wrong that God has outlined, and to adopt their own pseudo-morality. This is the kind of thing that happens. It is horrifying to think about what the human heart is capable of thinking and doing when we live our lives independent of the standard of God. No society, no society that operates independent of God's definition of right and wrong is safe, including our own. And the reason why these chapters, quite honestly, are so important for us as we conclude the book of Judges is because our country is on a trajectory at the speed of light heading in a remarkably similar direction as the nation of Israel during the time of the Judges. Where there are people who believe that what they're doing is right because what they think they're doing, which is right in their own eyes, is based on their own definition and not God's. We're living in this time, folks. This is the day in which we're living. And the end result, the Bible predicts, that mankind will go on this path of doing what is right in his own eyes and disregarding God's definition of right and wrong and good and bad. And where this ultimately leads is to a system that collapses morally and spiritually under a one-world government led by the Antichrist, during which time mankind will completely reject God, they will worship the Antichrist, And those who don't will be killed for not doing so. It will include incredible world chaos, world wars, and the slaughtering of Jews, the Bible predicts, that makes the Holocaust pale in comparison. That's where we're heading. That's how enlightened we've become. That's how progressive we are. Don't you love that term? Oh, we're so progressive. You know, liberal is a political liability these days. So we want to be progressive because that sounds a lot more enlightened and that sounds a lot more in step with things. Well, the fact of the matter is that what that projects by definition is the idea that we are more enlightened and we can adopt our own new morality. We can throw off God's definition we have a superior idea of what is right and what is wrong. Let me tell you something. There's nothing progressive about that at all, except that we are rapidly progressing off a moral cliff. That is ridiculous to think that we can redefine things apart from God and think that somehow we can survive as a society. If you question this new morality or progressive ideology, If you do that, you will be labeled as intolerant and out of step with mainstream America. That's what they will say to you. And by the way, the very people who accuse you of being intolerant will become very intolerant to you. Please note that. That's where we're heading. Why are we heading that way? Because listen, first 200 years of American history, the framers of the Constitution, our founding fathers who drafted the Declaration of Independence, frames such documents from the vantage point of a biblical worldview. The majority of the signers, 29 out of 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, had Bible degrees or seminary degrees. The majority of the signers, nearly all of them were Christians by faith. There were a couple of deists. Otherwise, all of them were Christians by faith. And therefore, a biblical worldview shaped... Our declaration, constitution, and subsequent laws. It is the reason why the framers in the Declaration of Independence referred to the laws of nature and nature's God. It is the reason why They penned the words that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. There was an acknowledgement of God. There was an acknowledgement in the drafting documents of our country that God is the framework. It is not to say that we were established as a theocracy, but it is to say otherwise that in fact, however, we are based as a nation upon the immutable, highest laws of God. And so over the first 200 years of American history, there was general agreement about what is right and what is wrong. But in the last few decades, that common unified definition of things that generally are right and things that are wrong based on God's overview of things in general, that's become challenged in classrooms and in courtrooms and even in churches where sadly the truth is not really being declared, the truth of God's Word. In fact, truth that used to be held as sacred and objective and non-negotiable is now held as secular, subjective, and very negotiable in the eyes of a lot of people. And I have to say, folks, if you believe, as I do, that God's definition of right and wrong and good and bad does not change with changing times, that He is the ultimate, objective, highest standard of truth by which all things should be measured and by which our lives should be lived, then welcome to the new minority. Because we're in the minority now. I hate to say it that way, but I believe truthfully that Christians are going to have to stand their ground and really present truth in a loving way but be immovable about the values and the standard that we hold so dear which is the truth of God's word. That's why Paul would say in Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We have our work cut out for us. Don't give up ground. Stand your faith for what you know is true. Do not give place to the mentality as they did in the days of Judges. We just do what is right in our own eyes. No, no. We want to do what is right in the eyes of God.
1: Pastor Gary has been teaching through the book of Judges, sharing the incredible lengths God goes to in order to rescue His people, and teach them about himself. Sometimes God needs to use extreme circumstances to get our attention and turn us back to the path he knows is best for us. We pray you've been encouraged as you listen today and that God is working in your heart even now. If you'd like to talk with someone about what following God means for you or if you have any questions... We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. This message today has been brought to you from Pastor Gary and Cornerstone Connection, a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You're most welcome to come see us in person if you're in the area. We meet every Sunday and Wednesday as a group and we'd love to have you be part of our services. Head to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more about the church and find directions and service times. While you're at our website, be sure to check out our archive of previous messages and download our mobile app to take them with you on the go. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Got no place to go but still you know but Still you know You're not alone.